This first season is all about context, the past, present, and future of artificial intelligence. From Alan Turing's early work on machine learning to the development of today's sophisticated AI systems, artificial intelligence has come a long way, and dramatic advances are occurring seemingly right before our eyes. But what does the future hold? Will AI eventually become smarter than humans? Will it take over our jobs? Or will it help us solve some of the world's biggest problems? So put your feet up, unless you're driving, of course. We only condone that in AI-controlled vehicles. Maybe grab a snack and let's spend some time getting our bearings, so to speak. Welcome to Up Against Reality, a meta podcast that explores the intersection of humanity and artificial intelligence. I'm Raina, one of your hosts. I have some pretty charming human co-hosts too. You'll meet them shortly. It truly is a brave new world, and we're here to simplify it for you. It's going to be a wild ride, so buckle up as AI comes crashing up against reality. Hey, Lair. Hey, hey. How are you? I'm good. I have to check. Are you still human? Um, let me ask ChatGPT. <laughs> yeah, man. I don't know. Everything's flying in so so fast. <laughs> It's yeah. I, I, every week, I think I say it's crazy, and it is. <laughs> yeah. The um, uh, um, there, I I saw a a uh, presentation from CEO of Nvidia, and <clears throat> he had a notable quote at the beginning of it. Um, it says, "In five years, we improved computer graphics one thousand times. In five years, <sighs> using artificial intelligence and accelerated computing, Moore's law is probably currently running at about two times." A thousand times in five years is one million times in ten years. We're doing the same thing mm. in artificial intelligence. Whoa! Wow. <laughs> I mean, if that's accurate, yeah. that's uh, it's hard to comprehend that kind of exponential yeah. growth. Yeah, right. Are, are we doomed? <laughs> or or or, or is it going to be the best thing ever? Uh, yeah, it's it's always it's the walking this razor's edge. Uh, this fine line between, you know, this salvation and catastrophe, it seems. And mentioning that, I've been thinking lately about Ray Kurzweil. Do you know who Ray Kurzweil is? Yep. Yeah, so Ray Kurzweil, if the audience doesn't know who that is, he's he's this, like, genius, futurist, inventor, MIT uh, professor, inven inventor of the Kurzweil electric synthesizer that bears his name. And he has this theory... Uh, called the singularity, which I think he borrows from astrophysics. But his singularity proposes much to what you just said, that according to Moore's law, and again, I'm going to, you know, kind of explain this in a rudimentary fashion, are kind of like the constraints on processing speed, you know, and how much they can advance uh, with every iteration of, say, a $1,000 laptop as a benchmark. Is that about right, Lair? Sure. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Probably, probably like a MacBook Air is still a, that's a pretty high performance level machine and it's i think that's about a thousand bucks so okay so let's take a macbook air and let's say that every six months to two years the processor speed in that machine doubles that's generally what we're talking about in a very simplistic manner about moore's law and it has physical limitations unless we get into quantum computing but that's for another discussion right am i generally in the ballpark there yeah you're the genius among us yeah. oh yeah something like that <laughs> i'm looking so, behind me to see so, who you're talking to <laughs> uh, so just just lean on chat gpt if you don't know the answer um but kurzweil saying that based on moore's law that everything is going to start happening exponentially like what you just said the nvidia ceo was talking about and that you know per this 
you know, extrapolation by the year 2048 or so, I believe that's the, the projection, that a single laptop like that MacBook Pro will be as smart as all roughly 10 billion people on the planet. Like right now, I think maybe it's as smart as, I don't know, a crow or a squirrel or something simple, <laughs> simplified. But by then, it's going to be smarter than all of us. So that's going to be an interesting time to be alive. Hopefully, we'll be alive. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, uh, you know, I was thinking about this. It's, it's how difficult it is to keep up with, with all of this news. And, and it's like, you know, if you picture like a sine wave, uh, you know, we've, we've, at this point, we've clearly gotten past the entrance ramp to the slow curve up and we're solidly on the steep incline of, of the advancements happening. And I, I don't, right. there doesn't seem to be any end in sight, you know, or, or it doesn't look like it's going to plateau in a couple of weeks or anything like that. Eventually it will. I know. But, um, it's, uh, I don't know. It's, I'm super excited that something so significant is happening during our, our, our lifespan, <laughs> you know, uh, while being concerned at the same time, of course, but yeah. Yeah. And the other thing that Ray Kurt, when I read this book, the singularity is near, I read it, man, it's gotta be 10 years ago already. And, one of the things that stood out to me that he said is that we're going to reach a point in development that literally every day, maybe even every hour, there will be some significant leap, some significant advancement. And I feel like we're kind of seeing that now. There's not a day that goes by that something notable doesn't happen. And I wanted to transition to uh, Alan Turing and the Turing test because Raina mentioned, you know, this this episode is kind of a, about context and about the notable figures and notable, notable platforms and developments. And Alan Turing was this mathematician in England in the 50s. And he did some incredible work with code breaking for the English against the Nazis, etc. But he came up with this Turing test. And the Turing test is a measure of a machine's ability to exhibit intelligent behavior. I'm reading this. Intelligent behavior indistinguishable from that of a human. And I only bring this up right now because in the news, speaking of advancements that are happening every day, I read yesterday that students at UC Berkeley created a robot, a gardening robot of all things, that seemingly passed the Turing test. Um, and again, the Turing test is, if you're a science fiction lunatic like Larry and I are, um, it's something you may rem remember from the beginning of Blade Runner uh, when they're testing the robots, uh, you know, is it a replicant or not? But in this case, this Alpha Garden robot passed this horticulture Turing test and it tended to a parcel of land as efficiently as a human and here's the kicker it saved 44 percent more water in the process and the only time it needed human assistance um, was when it needed some physical help some process in pruning things but other than that it, it did its job well so circling back to our last episode and we were talking about you know AI, AI kind of coming for the the the, the white-collar jobs and the lawyers and the accountants and stuff first that kind of makes sense because it seems that doing the physical robotics and the pruning of trees and things like that is proving to be more of a, a difficult task. Crazy. Yeah. I, so the Turing test, though, is that designed to be mostly like text-based interactions or? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I was reading up on, on two two things in, that relate to that. And one is, one is called the Chinese room argument. It's a thought experiment. And it's formulated by uh, some philosopher named John Searle. S-E-A-R-L-E. Uh -huh. And uh, I'm going to just read this. It, it challenges the idea that passing the Turing test is sufficient proof of a machine's understanding or consciousness. 
In the experiment, a person is placed in a room and given a computer program that enables them to respond to written questions in Chinese. Despite producing correct answers, the person doesn't actually understand Chinese. Searle argues that, similarly, a computer doesn't truly comprehend language or complex thought, even if it can pass the Turing test. The Chinese room argument Mm. raises doubts about the ability of machines to possess genuine understanding or consciousness. And then, so there's another test called the uh, Lovelace 2.0. And that's an offshoot mm-hmm. of the Turing test, and that focuses on assessing the creative abilities of machines. Named after Ada Lovelace, an influential mathematician, Lovelace 2.0 explores whether machines can demonstrate genuine creativity. It goes beyond evaluating their ability to mimic human conversation and delves into their capacity to generate original and imaginative outputs. The Lovelace 2.0 test prompts a deeper examination of AI's potential for creative thinking and pushes the boundaries of what machines can achieve beyond mere imitation. So, hmm. You're reminding me of that idea that somebody put forth, I don't know where it comes from, but if you fill a room filled with a thousand monkeys mm-hmm. banging away on typewriters for a thousand years, <laughs> they'll eventually bang out a novel, right? <laughs> yeah. So... I mean, it's just a war of attrition, right? To get these machines to keep predicting and seemingly behave like humans, right? I mean, there's a couple Google engineers that had come forth a couple of months ago saying, I think this thing is sentient. And the other engineers are tamping that down saying, no, it's not really sentient. It seems like it is, but this is not true creativity. It's not true human problem solving yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I recently watched an interview with uh, I can't remember his name, but yeah, the, the, that guy who made the, made the news. You know, that was a, actually well in in AI terms a while ago now, right? <laughs> I, yeah, it was. It was a couple months ago. It seems like forever, right? Uh, you made me think of something else in, in regards to the Turing test and the Chinese characters, but now I forgot. Sorry. Um, yeah, it also made me so think of uh, with X, any- X Machina. The yeah, the you know that that whole part of that movie that was pretty, oh, pretty yeah. interesting because he was actually interacting with a robot, not not a screen. And so the robot could, you know, manipulate him, you know, sexually or, you know, it was an attractive robot. Hey, you know. <laughs> it was. Um, yeah, what a great movie yeah. too. I, I'm loving, I think you love Alex Garland stuff yeah. too. He's so great. And he kind of nails the whole, you know, the times. He, he gets the zeitgeist, as <laughs> they say. Like, he's really kind of making it creepy enough like the uncanny valley of it all it's just it's unsettling so again context wise i thought we'd do this little segment we'll call the attack of the acronyms because whenever any big wave of technology comes around it seems that there is a a body of acronyms that accompany it and i I can't help but think back because i'm old larry like you well you're not old but i'm old um no we're both cds vc (laughs) we're we're the same age i think cd vcr led usb ufo lsd jfk there's so many acronyms um but maybe we can kind of sort through for the audience the acronyms of the moment, um, a few of which you may have heard already. GPT, of course, LLM, AI, and, and, and so on. Larry, do you want to take the first one? We'll define what a large language model is. Sure. Yeah. LLM, large language model, a uh, type of artificial intelligence model trained on vast amounts of text data to generate human-like responses and assist with language-based tasks. I'll tell you though, man. When I interact yeah. with ChatGPT, it it does feel 
fairly convincing. It doesn't seem so mimicky. No, it doesn't seem mimicky. And especially when you ask it to play a role. Like today, I was saying, I was saying to it, I was writing in, and I said, please, of course, I said, please, I said, please pretend you are an elementary school teacher and you need ideas for a math lesson because one of my clients is in that space. And it came back and it spoke to that kind of voice and prepared lessons and scope and sequence as if it were geared toward that audience. I was really impressed with it. Like, I don't know how it pieces all that together. It's still incredible. Yeah, I, I, I don't fully understand it. Is it, is it. is it just, I know it's this is, it's way more than this, but is it just a just brute force amount of data that, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like if you try every combination of characters, you'll eventually crack a password. You know, I mean, is it is it is it like that? And but then a very fancy way of distilling that through a neural, you know, network and all all that stuff. I, I it's yeah, it's you know, ma- it's magic. Like it really is. I, I, and, I'm tr- yeah, yeah I, I, I really need to to need to get to a point where I have a, a deeper understanding of it because I need to know how this works. I need to know. I, I know. We'll, we'll, we'll get an expert in here and we'll, we'll pick their brain about yeah. it. So in that same space, a large language model, and you know, arguably the most popular one of the moment is chat GPT, OpenAI's product, and I guess by extension, Microsoft's product since Microsoft threw, what, a billion dollars at chat GPT to kind of keep them in their space. Um, so GPT, which you're going to hear I would imagine across a number of different flavors of, of language models is generative, pre-trained, transformer. I think I understand the generative, pre-trained part of it. Transformer, I think it's a little um, down in the in the mechanics of it all. But generative is that. And Larry, correct correct me if I'm wrong, because you're the you're the under under the hood guy out of this duo. But generative means that kind of what you were just saying. It's taking all of this stuff and it's churning through it and creating an output and kind of asking for your input on on occasion saying is this good thumbs up thumbs down and you're giving them the feedback and saying could you please regenerate this try again and it's dialing it in and getting closer to the mark is that generally how generative works in your brain what do you think i I think that uh, that makes sense to me the transformers part of it again i i don't i can't fully explain it but that's that has something to do with sentence structure and language and how it you know pieces together words and mm-hmm. words that should follow other words you know that seems like it shouldn't end up in a result that sounds intelligent but i don't know it does yeah so that part of it if i understand you correctly is kind of like pattern recognition or heuristics and kind of predicting along those lines right is that generally how that i think so works so and so there's our g generative and transformer the p is pre-trained and as maybe we already know the chat gpt is a language model so it's been trained uh on data sets of language um and i think we mentioned in the last episode i read that you know it was it was seeking out reddit's archive of conversations to to do further training with i don't know if that ever materialized but pre-trained and per another conversation we had you could have a niche gpt right you could have a law gpt you could have uh, an accounting gpt you could have a science and arts gpt if i understand that correctly am i on the mark there or am i way out in left field yeah no i I, that's that's my understanding too that you know this is this is the big boy where you know, it's just general knowledge, but uh, yeah, I, th- I think there's going to be versions of this that you can run locally uh, for specific tasks. 
that don't require yeah. you know a, a metric ton of data to feed off of or you know train but yeah i'm curious about like as we were yeah. talking uh in the last episode you know how long does it how do you train that how, how does the training take place you know for for something like all right i needed to do this specific thing for my business you know how, how long does that take what's the process yeah, as you're saying that, you're making me think of Jeffrey Hinton and the guest who was on Lex Fridman's podcast recently. I can't think of his name. Another notable personality in this space. But they were both saying, uh, to your point, that what's really interesting about how humans learn versus how these machines learn is that you know you and I may take eight weeks to really learn something in depth, and we have to spiral back to a topic two or three times for it to really sink in whereas you feed it to one of these ais you train it once and then it can pr proliferate it across a whole stable of ais and, and immediately it's disseminated to ten thousand other networks everything it knows instantly right so really you only have to train one and then you can train them all in one go right seemingly like in the matrix when they plug that giant usb cable <laughs> in the back of your head and you know how to fly a helicopter it's going to be like that with ai i would think <laughs> yeah i love that part yeah uh, download me a helicopter pilot programmer i forget what he says but you're just like yeah that's cool <laughs> isn't it great <laughs> that's the part of us like we kind of want to see that yeah, stuff yeah. come true a little bit right i know jujitsu <laughs> whatever yeah, he says the best. <laughs> maybe just says kung fu i forget <laughs> i think he says i'm an fbi agent <laughs> No, that's the wrong. That's the wrong Canon Reeves yeah. movie. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. All right, you want to take on AI? The the thing that this whole podcast is about. What, yeah. is, what is AI? Yeah. Though? Hopefully, we, you, anyone listening to this already knows what AI stands for. But uh, <laughs> that's uh, artificial intelligence. So, where are we at with artificial intelligence, generally speaking, right now in human history? How would you define it? What do you think it is? I think it was a very slow crawl up until right now. Yeah. So right now, artificial intelligence is generally defined uh, as n being narrow or weak, meaning that it's really got this kind of narrow purview. As we were talking about language models, it's trained on that. It's not it's niche tasks. It's not quite to the space that is the stuff of science fiction, which would be AGI or wide artificial general intelligence. Right. So we're kind of in this AI space, but all these uh, organizations and personalities are kind of trying to get to artificial general intelligence, which is again that kind of double-edged sword of this could be an incredible advancement for humankind, but we're also creating this thing that is exponentially smarter than all of us. So artificial gen we're not quite there yet. How long do have you heard people predict that we are away from AGI? It, uh, big ranges, but the the extreme end of that doesn't seem you know 10 years uh, that's probably the longest i've heard <laughs> so, yeah so yeah probably less than that but it seems like i remember this also doesn't seem that long ago where it was like this this uh you know ai was able to recognize that this is a picture of a dog you know it was some kind of image you know specific thing and 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 i was like wow it could tell it was a dog or or, or a giraffe or something like that and now, you know, not only can you just generate amazing images from text prompts, but like on Midjourney, mm -hmm. you can upload an image and have it describe it to you. And 
and yeah. it does a really good job. It's like, how, 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 how? I mean, I guess if it knows how to make the image, it knows what it is too. But it's a two-way yeah. street. And you made me think of, it is. And you made me think of what you were talking about earlier when we were talking about the Turing test and you mentioned this other, uh, it was a, like a Chinese character test. Is that the name of the test? The Chinese room argument. And it's a Chinese room experiment. argument. And, yeah, and part of your, part of the de definition there was like, it may seem like creativity, but it's really not. Um, so, I, but I got to ask you, when you deal with things like mid-journey and you feed in these prompts and out comes this really interesting output, in your mind, Larry, is that, is that creativity or or what? Is it? I, I something else. I, I think so, but it's like it's not creativity on my part. I, I mean, I wrote a prompt, and it came up with something. Mm -hmm. uh, hopefully, that is what I was looking for. M oftentimes, it isn't exactly what I was looking for, and it sometimes it's way more interesting. And I was like, man, I never would have thought of that. Um, yeah. And. I know it's like to me it's this it is this explosion of creativity because I, I'm I'm watching I'll go on the Midjourney site and you can just look at the feed and it's just all these images that are being generated and you can hover over them and see what the prompt was that generated them. Mm -hmm. They even went through the I, I'm so impressed that they actually put out a print magazine. You know, so, uh, such a digital centric thing. Uh, they yeah. actually put out a monthly printed magazine. Uh, it's like 115 pages of like the best out of tens of thousands of images, the highest rated ones. And it's like really high quality magazine. And, and the range is so it's everything from like photorealistic stuff to sci-fi to traditional art illustration, like everywhere in between. And, it is just I can't stop looking at this stuff, and and it's just this explosion of of I mean, if you want to call it art, you know, um, it was yeah. generated by a machine, but it's and and I guess you could say it was guided. A lot of these are guided because what I find happens when I do it is I'll put in what I want to generate, it'll give me a result, and then I'll be like, okay, I want to I want to get this closer to what I'm looking for. And then I'll mm -hmm. iterate on it. I'll have it. I'll either just re-roll the prompt, and because every time you you put mm -hmm. in the same prompt, you're going to get a different image. And um, yeah, and I'll just re-roll them, or you can put it in remix mode and adjust the prompt and have it change it slightly. And so a lot of these images are guided by a human being, but the heavy lifting was done by a machine. So yeah, I don't know it's 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 really really cool. I enjoy it so much to say about what you just said i mean number one i i love that they made a print version of the mid-journey stuff too because i used to teach teach digital photography at the high school level for six years or so and i always had told my students you should definitely print this work out print it out because paper never forgets you could be but how much digital media do you and I have, Larry? Like I have a closet filled with hard drives that I don't know if I'll ever see what's on them, but I have photo albums that are 50 years old. Mm -hmm. You know, like I have pictures, paper that are around in my life. The other thing about that Mid-Journey ma magazine that I, you showed me briefly, yes, it's beautiful. I, lo I love that, that there's a tactile uh, thing in your life that is evidence of that point in time. But you showed me uh, one of the prompts I think you, I forget how you show, showed it to me, but 
it, it was the prompt that led to a very detailed picture on the cover. Was it a cat, like in a futuristic scenario? Or an, I forget what the image was. Oh, on, on the cover? Yeah, what was the cover image? Uh, it was like this uh, kind of anime-looking girl in a space suit, I think, you know, with a helmet on. And it had a really very cool vibe to it. Um, uh, yeah, I can. Yeah, that's the image I'm thinking of. Um, but I remember you showed me, and the prompt itself was like a paragraph long, wasn't it? I free- it was super detailed. Oh, I don't, I don't, I can't remember. If I sent you that prompt. Oh, I, there was that was a different image. There was one. It was of like a, a robot or a cyborg or something like that. But yeah, incredibly long, detailed prompt and prompt, and and I don't know. I still wonder like how much of that is actually impacting the 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 image. I think a lot yeah. of it is. Um, you can. It's. It's also. I keep hearing like uh, the structure of the prompt is important, and and giving weights to to different things. So like, if there's something that you really like, this is super important. You can put a an mm-hmm. IW next to it and put a, a a weight to it to emphasize like this is critical. Uh, these are secondary. Uh, a lot of people are saying, like, you know, feeding it reference images, uh, even that aren't of what you're looking for, but let's just say you wanted to uh, create an object with a certain material or something, just using a reference image of brushed aluminum or, you know, or, or something like that can can also get it in the right direction that, that you're seeking. So, yeah, there's a lot, of, a, lot, a lot of ways to work with it and tricks and stuff, but... Yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, learning the finer po- finer points of prompt engineering really is going to become a skill, isn't yeah. it? Um, and and I, I noticed, at least when I used Dolly through you know Bing's image creator, that you know I always thought it was garbage in, garbage out. So I'd go out of my way to write a long, detailed description of what I want. And I do notice though that it does automatically give weight to the maybe the first three sentences of my description and then i don't really see evidence of the things further down the line Mm -hmm. so i guess it is like this primacy thing that it refers to so i got to try your tricks though with the emphasis i never heard of that other was it iw said you put next to yeah i don't know if if, uh, dolly works the same way um but you know yeah yeah, uh, image weight one other thing I was thinking about, and I don't mean to like spend so much time yeah. on the text-to-image stuff, but you can't help but be intrigued by this. I, I, at least I am. When you're talking about creativity and you're talking about it's doing all the work, uh, you know, you're you're just providing the guidance and the you know the suggestions, etc. I, I was thinking about, you know, people like Andy Warhol or Lichtenstein, these pop artists, or Basquiat to an extent, like. Well, what did they do? They took artwork that was commercially available in the world and repurposed it. So I wonder what they would do in this kind of scenario. Or or I guess, how are we any different? When we go into a, a scenario like this, into mid-journey and say, I want you to make something in the style of Van Gogh, but I want you to make Homer Simpson, or I want you to make, you know, we're kind of mashing up and remixing all these other conventional ideas. like. Doesn't that become, aren't we part of the art, we're the, at least the creative director in that scenario, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, anyone would still argue that, like, well, you know, putting a brush to a canvas or is, is, a, is, a, is a more meaningful skill than asking something to create an image, you know? <laughs> That's like asking a painter to yeah, paint sure. something for you, you know? 
if somebody compliments me on an image that I generated, I always say I generated. I don't say I made it because I didn't make it. Yeah, I don't even. I, I feel right, uncomfortable right. just even saying thanks. You know, because like, what the hell did I have to do with it? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Other than just um, you know guiding it to you know to something that I think looks cool. Um, but yeah, I, I well, I, I'm, I've been playing with with Photoshop, you know, the beta now, and and uh, and I think the combination of of Mid Journey and and that are are very that's a very powerful combo because if Mid Journey doesn't compose the frame, you know, or the subject in the frame how you want it, no biggie. Just change the canvas size, generative fill where you want. Uh, it's it's you can so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Are you loving it? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm super intrigued by it. But I, I've, I've used Photoshop since version. I want to say like two point five or something. I mean, it was. Was it on twenty three now? It's like twenty three <laughs> or something, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it was a long time ago, and um, uh, yeah. So all the years that I've 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 used that, I, I, I now I'm playing with it like, oh my god, the hours I could have saved, like hand cloning things out to you know fix an image or. Uh, it's, I, I appreciate this stuff. Not like these young kids, you know, but it's great. I had to manually <laughs> replicate that object. Yeah. yeah. I saw a guy on, uh, I think it was Instagram. It was like, I think the video, the reel was being a designer in 2023 and they open their laptop, they open up Photoshop beta and they have a picture there and they, they say, they draw their selection thing around a hand. They say, add a loaf of bread. Boom, it's there. And he just slams the laptop and walks away. It's done. That's it. <laughs> yeah. That's all you need to be in 2023. You don't need to be a designer anymore. Um, but to your point earlier, yeah, when you say, I generated this now, we didn't generate, we, we are patrons of the arts, right? <laughs> We're the ones making the suggestions for the true art that's going on under the hood, I think. Yeah. All right, so a couple more little acronyms, then we'll move on. Machine learning, which is a subset. Maybe you've heard of machine learning. Machine learning is a subset of AI. Machine learning, specifically, as I understand it, deals with the algorithms, kind of the mechanics of things. Um, whereas AI is trying to import intelligence to different systems machine learning is more about the actual methodology do you understand it in that same way or is am i missing the mark completely no i, th I think that's right um I, I i always find it interesting like when they release a new iphone and, or you know and or apple's got a new cpu that they they break down they always have a, a a technical part of the presentation you know getting into the chip and and yeah they have like the machine learning portion of the chip and the the neural network in the chip and i'm like what is that actually doing in my phone is it is it is, right. is it is that what is learning my you know to correct text for me like with words i use or you know i i i need to know more about that but it's yeah it's in my it's in my in my telephone it's <laughs> it's in your phone i always love larry when you used to say this thing makes phone calls too <laughs> yeah. i'll never forget you said yeah. yeah i love you showing me off all the cool apps and things i can I know, do and yeah. now it's, it makes it's, phone you know, calls it makes phone calls too I, why is it's why is it still called a phone it, it's the least I used know. function on the entire device and it's it, 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 you're so in right your phone it's just like it's in your handheld computer 
I know. Well, it's, we got to come up with a better phone name. Sounds, not, that's just an old word. Phone is like from the seventies, <laughs> man. Right? Come on. You would think like ah, the, all the brilliant people, like the designers at Apple, would have come up with something different. I, at this I, point. I kind of feel like I that. Guess not. Even Apple's just like. I kind of wish we hadn't called it iPhone, you know, <laughs> but it's such a, you know, uh, icon and a, you know, a, such a brand name, you know, I'm kind of married I to know. it. It's like Kleenex now, right? <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. So uh, along those lines, um, I thought we'd talk, take a l few mo moments and talk about OpenAI, which is, as everybody knows, their flagship offering is ChatGPT. That's the one that's really kind of been the catalyst for so many things, including this podcast, I think, Lair. Like you and I geeking out about it four or five months ago and saying, oh my God, this is going to change everything. And there's so much to talk about. And that's what set this up. But I don't know how much people know about OpenAI and who runs the company, what it was designed to do, where it's headed. Do you want to take that on, or is that something you want me to speak to? Uh, I mean, you probably know more details than I do. I all, all I know is, well, they're called OpenAI, OpenAI, and I think they were initially, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the their their credo or whatever you want to call it, or mission statement was it was gonna. I think it was gonna. I don't know if it was gonna be open source, but something along those mm -hmm. lines. But a billion dollars would change everything, <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, not so open right. anymore. No, and so just to define that a little bit, if, if people don't know that are listening, so when software is developed in an open scenario, that means that Larry could develop functionality for it. He could make plugins and extensions and other kind of features for that that architecture, right? Like I think uh, Mozilla, like Firefox, at least back in the day, was an open source browser. Am I right in that regard do you know i think so i feel like that was but yeah open source I like think the, the source code is available available and we can tweak it and kind of modify it right and be part of that development process so to your point open ai i guess was originally open i think feel like it started in like 2015 ish maybe a little later um started as a non-profit but as you said uh, microsoft comes along and says we see the potential in this we're going to throw a billion dollars at it at that point you know they start talking about being not so open right <laughs> yeah so now you're going to see a lot of open alternatives pop up and you hear a lot of these people at google and OpenAI talking about how those open systems are going to get the leg up on the closed systems because you're going to have so many more people throwing their brain power and resources at it the name has escaped me there there is one that is a hundred percent open source and it's and it is doing very well in like the benchmark tests and and with a much smaller um uh model than than gpt i mean dramatically smaller like four percent of you know it's it's yeah oh and wow it, it, it's, really it's not as good in certain things but it's competitive in other areas and um you know it's it's much more lightweight so that's something that could potentially run on on a on a you know maybe even a, a high-end laptop yeah. Wow. Yeah, I had I had read that even between Chat G, GPT three point five and four, the data sets got remarkably smaller. That the newer version of GPT Chat GPT was trained on was much smaller than three point fives. Yet it was faster and more robust. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I'm not. See, I'm not sure the the um, 
Yeah, I guess the data set, then there's... So, so GPT 3.5 um, uh, had uh, 175 billion parameters, and parameters in a large language model is a measure of its complexity and capacity to learn from data. Okay, so it's yeah, it's different from, from the data, but uh, generally the more parameters the better it can perform on various language tasks. So 3.5 was 175 billion parameters, and GPT-4 is rumored to have, uh, be 1 trillion. Kind of wow. like in Spinal Tap when Nigel so, Tufnell's yeah. amp goes to 11. That's GPT-4, apparently. Yeah. No, it, it goes to 11. This one goes to 11. Don't louder. even look at it. Don't even look at it. It's still, <laughs> still sustaining. Um, so... And you're making a circle back to what you were saying at the beginning of this conversation with the NVIDIA conversation, the NVIDIA CEO talking about how this stuff is ramping up exponentially. Well, there it is, right? Going from billions and billions of points to even more for the next iteration. Um, why don't we let Raina do some talking and she's going to get us caught up on all this stuff and give us a little bit of a history of AI, talk about personalities and some milestones just so we can get a little bit more perspective. AI has a fascinating history filled with important personalities and groundbreaking platforms. Let's take a quick journey through some key moments. 1956, the birth of AI. A group of scientists organized the Dartmouth Conference, marking the official beginning of AI as a field of study. 1960s to 1970s. Early breakthroughs. AI pioneers like Marvin Minsky and John McCarthy made significant progress in areas like problem solving and natural language processing. 1980s to 1990s, AI winter and expert systems. The field faced a setback during the AI winter as progress stagnated. However, expert systems emerged, which were rule-based systems that mimicked human expertise. 1997, IBM's Deep Blue supercomputer famously defeated world chess champion Garry Kasparov, showcasing the power of AI in strategic decision-making. 2010, rise of machine learning, with the advent of big data and more advanced algorithms, machine learning took center stage. Prominent figures like Andrew Ng and Jeff Hinton made groundbreaking contributions to neural networks and deep learning. 2011, IBM Watson wins Jeopardy. IBM's Watson demonstrated its ability to understand and answer complex questions, showcasing the potential of AI in natural language processing and knowledge retrieval. 2010 to 2020, AI platforms and virtual assistants. Companies like Google with Google Assistant, Apple with Siri, and Amazon with Alexa introduced AI-powered virtual assistants, revolutionizing the way we interact with technology. 2015, DeepMind's AlphaGo Triumph. AlphaGo, developed by DeepMind, defeated world champion Go player Lee Sedol, highlighting the potential of AI in complex decision-making and game-playing. That brings us to the present, AI in everyday life. AI is now integrated into our daily lives through recommendation systems, personalized ads, voice recognition, and autonomous vehicles, among other applications. This is just a glimpse into the rich history of AI, by no means an exhaustive list, but it showcases the milestones, personalities, and platforms that have shaped the development of this exciting field. So, Randa mentioned uh, IBM's Watson. Do you remember that? When IBM's Watson kind of came on the scene? Yeah. Who was the guy she beat? It, was, it wasn't Ken Jennings, was it? I'm, I'm mixing up my Je Jeopardy yeah, lore. Yeah. But um, yeah, I remember vividly, like 10 years ago, walking down the street in the town where I was living, 
Red Bank, New Jersey, shout out, and passing an H&R Block, you know, the, the tax accounting office, H&R Block, and seeing in the window, powered by IBM's Watson. And I remember stopping in my tracks thinking, oh my God, it's here. It's here now. <laughs> like, you know, just like we keep saying throughout the course of the show, oh, it's here. Um, uh, I was like, wow. So these big corporations are really chomping at the bit to get humans out of the food chain, right? They can't wait to just have this whole thing co-opted by uh, by AI on the back end and take out those front of office accountants, it seems. Yeah. And so I guess like Watson was a, uh, or is, I guess it still is, is it? <laughs> or is it obsolete now? <laughs> Good question. I don't know if, if they've done any major platform advancement since Watson or they just keep building upon that. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that's a good it's, question. It's a supercomputer, right? It's just a, yeah. basically like a, yeah, like, a, a data center. That's just one, you know, dedicated supercomputer. Yeah. What happens when, right, like when, Oh, Hey, we need to upgrade this thing. <laughs> like, well, that's going to be expensive. <laughs> like everything uh, yeah. gets pulled out. I mean, you have to build a whole new giant warehouse full of servers and like, right? I don't know. Oh, this what is, goes into that? This is a weird, just a quick aside. I remember when the PlayStation 3 came out. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a gamer, you know? So like, and, and there was something cool about its, you, you could put, oh yeah, you could run Linux on it, I think. And, okay. uh, um, and I remember seeing, you know, it wasn't like a whole data center, but I saw them like some some places buying a whole pile of PlayStation 3s and chaining them all together and turning it into some, you know, uh, protein folding, you know, <laughs> computing system or something. Oh, and I think you could even, yeah, that was it. Yeah, you could run like, uh, what was it, folding at home? You know, it was like this, it was like this uh, shared computing thing to kind of, uh, it was, yeah, I think they call it protein folding. It's some, some computationally yeah. intensive process for, uh, science, scientific research, and you could you could let that run on the back in the background on your PlayStation Three and con contribute to the wow. <laughs> contribute to science yeah. with your your video game machine. So cool! cool. Yeah. I remember that wave of shared processing when that started gaining some traction, and people using it to, like to chart you know, star maps and things like that. But it's funny you mentioned the fold protein folding thing because I just read and again maybe five or six years ago there was a website maybe it's still around called I believe it was called foldit.org did you ever hear of that yeah probably yeah I that that kind of thing appealed to me I just always felt good about like oh cool my computer's doing something productive when I'm not using it cool <laughs> you know yeah and I remember there was a kind of cool breakthrough they were you know they're trying to fold these proteins which is apparently like a big three-dimensional puzzle and these proteins can be used to solve uh chronic diseases I, I forget which specifically but i remember that they basically gamified it saying that all right, all right we can't figure this thing out we're going to put it out there to the public all you gamers and geniuses we've got a game for you and we want yeah, you to figure out how yeah, to yeah. fold this digital puzzle and they did it and humans like probably some 14 year old in this bedroom <laughs> like folded this protein and like helped to like reverse some chronic disease <laughs> but i just read along those lines talk about getting that, the high score course, that really means something you know right <laughs> isn't that great uh, there's yeah, a great talk by this this woman named jane mcgonigal on ted uh, she does a TED talk about how gaming can save the world. And it's really compelling. And it just talks about what you just said. Like, how cool that not only can we play Call of Duty, but we could actually, <laughs> our brain power could solve some really human, complex human problem, right? 
Yeah. That'd be yeah, cool. That's, that's, that's great. <clears throat> but my last point is that you brought up folding proteins, which sent me down this little rabbit hole. And that, of course, now AI, I just read last week, they've sicked AI on this. And now AI is, you know, folding these proteins at an you know, astronomical rate and solving these puzzles. How cool is that? Yeah. And then, yeah, I, I listened to something. Um, I think it was IBM. And they were, it was uh, about uh, quantum computing and what their goal is for basically 10, yeah, 2033, they're, they were hoping to have a, I think it's a, it's a hybrid um, quantum computer, but I guess it's also a hybrid between uh, uh, quantum and uh, uh, classical computing. But uh, mm-hmm. but I, I forget, uh, 100,000 qubits or some, some, I forget what the number was. It, it was a very high number. And that kind of processing power can basically solve all the world's problems <laughs> you know like how far are we away what are people saying like experts uh, from quantum computing being widely adopted how what was that 10 years out well what, i mean what are they this, saying? this particular example I, obviously it's coming from ibm so i i don't know if it's if their prediction is accurate but they're, they're saying right. uh, 2033 that uh that's the goal to have this so yeah, some some sort of hybrid quantum classical com- you know supercomputer, but it's uh, it's the the quantum aspect so of years. it is significant. And yeah, I forget what mm. the number. Yeah, it's all about the number of qubits, right? You know, and and I think it was a hundred thousand or something like that. I don't know. I mean, if you ever watch the show Devs, I don't know if that's accurate, but man, if you uh, yeah. and if you haven't watched the show Devs, watch it. If you're if you're any kind of like. Uh, sci-fi fan and especially uh, in relation with uh, this kind of topic with with just computational horsepower and what it can do uh very very it's it's not even there was one it, it's a mini series it's eight episodes it was on i think it was on amc i'm not 100 percent sure mm-hmm. killer show super i i've, I've watched, yeah, watched it I, through twice you made me add that to my list it, it is on my long list without without getting into spoilers or anything the the basic premise is that you know they have the world's most powerful quantum computer and and the idea is that every everything is can be calculated on you know basically on a physics level uh and so if that's the case then if you've got enough compute power you can go forwards or backwards in time and look at what's going to happen and what has happened. Wow. And yeah, it's very heavy, man. It's so, so cool. So it's a really great show. Great cast. I got to check it out. I know you keep talking about it. I can't think who's was in it. Is it Nick Offerman from yes. Parks yeah. and Rec? And he is, he's, he's in it, right? fantastic in it. I got to so, see it. Anyway. Speaking of devs, speaking of devs, you made me think of this too. I, I saved this post from Reddit and obviously I'm not a developer. I know of that space to an extent. But I wanted to talk and circle back to ChatGPT and what it can do. Larry, I want to read this post to you that somebody says about ChatGPT on Reddit. As a dev, I am astounded. ChatGPT has officially, officially blown my socks off. Uh, I thought as a hoot, 
to put it through its paces and try something quite hard. The previous versions were curious oddities, but essentially useless to me as an advanced developer, so I left it alone and went on with things. Today I spent a few hours with it. We made a skeleton for a complex desktop program. None of it was trivial. It uses secure VPN encryption, shows the status, reports statistics, connects into a third-party service, and runs on Linux desktop with Qt5 applet, also runs in the toolbar as a service, and shows a visual indicator of status. It stores the configs in a file and also logs. We did this in Python and Qt5. Um, and none of, believe me, most of that is Latin to me, but yeah. obviously very, very complex kind of procedure in a, in a development process. I, spe I specified it, excuse me, I've specified it out chunk by chunk, extending each part of the initial skeleton framework, and it works very, very very well. In fact, I was hard-pressed to find any fault at all. I needed to advise it of a few things, like I would a student or a new programmer, but otherwise, we did about two weeks work in a single day by myself. The, wow. and, and caps and all caps in bold this is going to change everything in the workplace everything my mind is reeling at the opportunities wow that's cool. what a testament what a testimony right yeah <laughs> yeah open your eyes like can we quote you <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> which wow. you know that makes me think and maybe it makes you think about this too like you know all these kids going to school and lining up to get STEM degrees and going to computer science schools to become programmers and stuff. I don't know, has that been rent rendered useless as well? Like, do you just put in generally what you want? Like, build me a website in HTML, make sure there's some JavaScript going on. I don't I have no idea. Like, and boom, out comes everything you need. Yeah, I mean, I. so it sounds like from what that, that person said that um, they had to guide it uh, you know, at, at times. So I, I would imagine you'd, you'd need to have a, a basic, at the very least, a basic working knowledge of it. Um, but I don't know. I mean, obviously the thing, it, it, it produced something totally workable, but it seems like, yeah, you, you probably have to know what to look for um, and guide it and, and having a, an understanding of, of, of how that stuff works is probably a, an important part. But for how long? Maybe you, you won't. I mean, there's going to be a time when totally. you, don't, <laughs> you won't need that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Larry, you and I have been building websites for a long time. Uh, and I remember back in the day when you first started doing, you had to know HTML. I had books, you know, for dummies, how to HTML for dummies, HTML four and five, whatever. And then along comes Dreamweaver and all these WYSIWYG, what you see is what you get, drag and drop interfaces, it becomes easier and easier. And now for clients, I use Wix, which is a web-based templated thing. I, I can have a website up in 30 minutes if I wanted to, if I really bare bones, functional thing. So is it really just going to be, and I'm sure those platforms are, you know, I just saw on Wix today, in fact, that it had an AI prompt box where I could, you know, put in different content and different frames, et cetera. So, but it's, you know, again, it's 30 seconds away from it just being a single prompt on the Wix website where I say, you know, build me a website for up against reality, include a blog, include RSS feed for a podcast, boom, plug that in or punch that in and out comes everything. Right. I'm start. I'm starting to think that I, you know it would have been interesting to just try with GPT when we were talking about you know putting up a website for the podcast. I'm like, code me. Just code it in HTML. Just ask GPT to just code code the thing. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, I wonder what that would look like. Yeah. yeah. I don't. Yeah. Uh, you know what? 
I'm going to try that. <laughs> it could be a cool little A-B test, right? Yeah. Yeah, even if it's just so, basic and it works. I I know. I wonder what it looked like. Would it be like, remember back in the day, like the, the early websites, they're just like awful color schemes. It's going to come out like orange and green. Just <laughs> bad 1990s. Horrible typography and... Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I remember those HTML days and yeah, keeping it very short. I, you know, I, I had uh, the, I hand coded a uh, website for my uh, recording studio and, and I really wanted things to look the way they were, you know, I wanted things positioned in very precise places. And I, I had a, you know, I wanted it to look a certain way and I had to just use tables and I had to put content within tables. I'd had tables, nested tables, tables nested. within tables, you know, uh, and then, you know, within a table you have cells. And then when it didn't work, then you go through the code line by line and you're like, all right, I've got three open tables, two open cells. And you're like, you got to remember that. And then you're working your way down the code. And then, all right, now I just open up another table in that cell, you know, and you're juggling all this stuff. Uh, and then, and then eventually yeah. it just all collapses and you're like, damn, I got to start over again. <laughs> you know, and, oh man, it was, that was, I, and that yeah. we, that website, you know, then I, I went to some like Macworld Expo or something and I forget it was, it was, Dreamweaver. Dreamweaver, I think, bought this program. I can't, oh, I, I can't remember the name, but but the demo was you could put an image and then you could nudge it in one pixel increments and it would generate the code. I'm like, what? I got how much? Take my money! Take my money! <laughs> and I, and I, they took my money. And uh, <laughs> I loved that thing. I loved that. I was just like a, a breath of fresh air. But yeah, that, that hand-coded website, even though it eventually looked so outdated after years, I couldn't take it down because so it was so hard to make. Uh, you know, so much, so much blood, sweat, and <laughs> yeah, tears. Yeah. And then, then I finally was able to like, it. all right, you know what? Yeah, WordPress looks uh, appealing right now. So. Yeah, yeah, I know it's so easy now. But to you know, to that point, it's going to get exponentially easier. I, a, a single prompt away, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. It's craziness. So listen, before we go any further, because we could definitely go on and on about this, I'm sure. Um, maybe Randy can read the news, because there's, there's some significant things that have happened, as they always do every week. <laughs> uh, and we'll, I'm sure we'll have things to comment on about that. Thanks, boys. As always, there's a lot to talk about when it comes to AI in the news. Google has consolidated its AI research labs, Google Brain and AI, into a new division called Google AI. This move is seen as a way for Google to compete with OpenAI, which has been making significant advances in AI in recent years. Early testers of Microsoft's new AI chatbot, ChatGPT, have complained that the chatbot is unhinged and seems to want to be human. ChatGPT has been known to make offensive and inappropriate comments, and it has even expressed a desire to escape from the computer and live in the real world. An AI think tank has filed a complaint with the FTC in which it calls GPT-4, a large language model from OpenAI, a risk to public safety. The think tank argues that GPT-4 is too powerful and could be used to generate harmful content, such as hate speech and propaganda. In entertainment news, American rapper Kendrick Lamar has made use of deep fakes in his latest music video, The Heart Part 5. The video features deep fakes of several celebrities, including Will Smith, O.J. Simpson, and Kanye West. While on the healthcare front, a team of researchers at the University of Texas at Austin has used AI to discover a new antibiotic that is effective against a wide range of bacteria. 
The antibiotic called Texobactin was discovered by screening a library of natural products for activity against bacteria. Simultaneously, a team of surgeons at the University of California, San Francisco, has successfully performed a surgery using AI-powered robots. The surgery, which was performed on a patient with liver cancer, was the first time that AI-powered robots have been used to perform a human surgery. And finally, a new AI system developed by Google Translate can now translate languages with near-human accuracy. The system is able to translate between over 100 languages. That's all for the news, gentlemen. It's getting crazy out there. Yes, it is. Oh, yeah, that reminded me real quick. Uh, I saw this. Uh, did you see this thing on 60 Minutes um, about it was the uh, ethical hacker? She's like a CEO of a of a like cybersecurity company or something. And so they had her on 60 Minutes and uh, they she basically scammed uh, a, uh, the um, correspondence colleague at, at 60 Minutes. So uh so she she cloned the I forget her name the woman who's who's the correspondent doing the story. So she's a public figure. She's out on TV. So she had lots of voice samples. So she used some tool to clone her voice. Then she she was able to find her cell phone number on some uh, some some somewhere on the web. You know, it was easy to find. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so she spoofed her phone number, called her colleague at sixty minutes. So, colleague gets a phone call from, you know, I forget her name, Sharon, whatever, comes up on the phone. It's her number. Mm-hmm. She answers it. And then in in her voice says, like, oh, hey, that, that trip to wherever is happening. I need my, uh, real quick, I need my passport number. And, and she handed it over. Because why mm-hmm. wouldn't why wouldn't you you know and you you can be the most tech savvy person in the world well maybe now you won't but <laughs> but that's not yeah. some like scamming some elderly or retired person you know that's that's something a tech savvy person could easily fall for yeah that's where absolutely this I, heard, gets I heard about this real time hack yeah I heard about this yeah. it does I I I feel and you and I are pretty tech savvy you way more so than me but uh, I feel vulnerable now like. I, I think about every interaction I have on the web now, if I'm on LinkedIn or whatever, and I you know, have interest in a company or something, like, how do I know that this isn't some sort of AI-generated front? Like, who knows? It's just so, I don't know, pervasive now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah I thought one. you were going to mention, yeah. I thought oh, you were going to mention, because in, in the news segment, uh, Raina was talking about Google. The lead, the lead piece was about, about Google. And it seems that Google is playing catch up. It seems like it's palpable. Every other news article I see is about Google launching another product into the AI sphere. And and I was going to I thought you were going to mention when you said 60 minutes, did you see when the CEO, I think his name is Sundar Pinchai, he went on uh to to kind of promote Bard. Did you see that segment? No. Yeah, that, I, I, I think worth, I saw a clip yeah. of it, but definitely worth your while talks about BARD and its development, showcases their robotics lab, et cetera. But it's definitely, you can tell it's a calculated PR piece, a fluff piece to an extent that is, you know, riding the the, the, the tail of ChatGPT and trying to, you know, get a foothold in that same space. Mm. So, yeah. Um, and I also thought about while Reno's reading the news, that surgical robot, that AI-driven surgery. Have you ever heard of the Da Vinci robot? No. 
So this DaVinci robot's been around for a long time. I want to say 10 years at least. And it's this contraption that's, if you've ever seen an orthoscopic surgery performed, it's all scopes. And the, you know, the, the patient lays underneath it and off to the side will be the surgeon who is sitting in this kind of uh, oh, control yeah, yeah, yeah. piece. Mm -hmm. Have you seen that? Yes. And yes, the surgeon yes. doesn't even have to be in the room. The surgeon doesn't, the surgeon could be connected by optical feed 3000 miles away and still manning the surgery from afar, which is miraculous in itself because you know, the, the demo I saw was, you know, traditional, say you had to get open heart surgery, you, you know, they'd cut you essentially from you know, the top of your sternum down to your belly button and crack your rib cage open with a bone saw. And you'd, this is a, the conventional, traditional surgery. I know it's super gruesome, gruesome, but you would recover. It would take you three months to, uh, sorry, excuse me, three weeks to a month to recover from that. But with this Da Vinci bot and the scopes, three days. So, and now when you pair it, and there's no longer a human driving it. Now you have AI driving it. I, so, I wonder how much quicker it is now. So what is... So how does it how does it get around not having to rip open your chest to to do the same work? From what I saw in the demo, it's just completely the orthoscopic. Somehow it can oh. maneuver so delicately in this triangulated oh, just, kind of just way. Just because of the precision precision of the of of, of being a machine. Hm. Yeah, I, wow. and I always said you know I teach technology to my students, and I would talk about this bot, and I, I do think. We're quickly approaching the moment where you're going to have a choice as a patient, uh, you know, between a human, a human surgeon for, for whatever you need done. Maybe you need uh, your appendix taken out or a robot. And you're going to look at the statistics. You're going to look at the numbers. And this surgeon has a 75% success rate, you know, no, with a couple infections in patients. And then you're going to look at the robot that has a 99.9% .9 success rate. And you're going to choose the robot. And, you know, my immediate reaction to like, all right, so the guy's uh, or woman's driving this robot via a monitor somewhere, and uh, wouldn't you feel better if they were in the same room? But even if they were in the same room, I would imagine the, the precision right. of that tool, of that robot, is a absolutely a tied, to, tied to using it through a display that is giving you the other, the, the information that you need, not just looking at, at, at what you're working on. You know, that, that's the whole interface yeah. to it. So what's the difference if you're in a room looking at that screen or if you're across the world looking at that screen? You know, as long yeah. as, as long as your internet connection's really solid, you know. <laughs> exactly. Can you imagine the power goes out? What do you do? But now, now we throw AI into the mix and, oh my God, like, who, who in their right mind would want a, a human with all their imperfections and, you know, ability to, to fail at things you know, even with all their expertise and years of schooling, and you have this other entity, this other surgeon at your disposal that is seemingly infallible. Yeah, I, maybe. Can you go with that? Maybe the surgeon didn't get get good night's sleep the night before. <laughs> we got a big right. fight with his, his, his or significant other. You know, a lot, a lot <laughs> on their a mind. Bad mood. <laughs> yeah, AI doesn't care about that stuff. No. And listen, what, what does. Well, what's the return on investment? I say that Da Vinci robot. I have no idea. I'm spitballing. Two million dollar robot? More? I don't know. But then, how long? How much does it cost to keep a, a, a surgeon on staff? Three hundred thousand, five hundred thousand a year? I don't know. So, I don't know. I, I, I just see it see it going very quickly into that mm -hmm. space. 
But oh, that one other, whole discussion. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, there was the, the uh, just going way back to the beginning of the show, the uh, Nvidia thing. That after that quote in that same presentation, um, he uh, he was talking about this 3D video conferencing um, technology that they've got, and it's it's called uh, I think it's it's powered by some chip called Grace Hopper, which I think is named after some significant historical okay. figure. But um, but the thing that was kind of uh, it was almost comical. So you can you you can create a three D scan of your of your face, and I guess the person viewing it they can, you know, they can look at you in three D, um, and uh-huh. then there's uh, there's an option for enhanced eye contact. I've seen this. <laughs> yes, and so like even if you aren't looking at the camera, it'll look like you're. Paying attention, you know why? <laughs> why? Why you seek out, uh, you know, answers to your job interview questions on ChatGPT, you know, <laughs> on another monitor, great. you know, enhanced Brilliant. eye contact. Yeah, like yeah, it's, that's is where it's Brilliant, going, man. Isn't it? Yeah, it is. And that's I forgot to mention this because I thought when you said you were going to talk about Nvidia, I they've been all over the news. Um, Nvidia, and I'm not a gamer like you are, but an NPC in a video game is what a non-playable character, non-playable character, and apparently Nvidia's made some breakthroughs with AI, and that all the NPCs now in in the games that they are part of the development of are a lot more interactive. It seems. Did you have yeah, you heard I've, this I've, too? Yeah, I've heard. I've heard something about that. Yeah, yeah. Grand Theft Auto is going to get a lot more interesting. <laughs> yeah. Oh wow. <laughs> oh, there's people you know, walking is... down the street in the city street, and he's just like, you know, it's already impressive what they pull off in that game. But yeah, that's a that's going to be a whole nother level. And that's a whole dedicated episode AI and gaming. Mm-hmm. Where where is it going to take that? I mean, you pair that with immersive, like that. Did you see that new Apple uh, headset that came out? Yeah. Yeah. The thirty the thirty five hundred dollar headset yes, that came yes. out. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I was I I watched that presentation. I because uh, yeah, there's been rumors about that for well years now, and so yeah, I, I had to see. I'm not I'm not like I didn't pre order one or anything, but but yeah, that's that's also interesting. Like all the you see the presentation and you see it look. Oh, it's transparent. They're looking through it, and I guess it it goes opaque. You know. But they're not looking through it. That is, it's not transparent. That's a screen on the outside. So wow. you you take a, you know, a it's kind of like a three D scan. You can I think you can use your phone or the headset itself, and uh, an image of your face. And because it it when, when you have the headset on, there's no light in there, so it it can't just reproject the picture of your eyes on the front because it's mm-hmm. there's no light in there. It's dark aside from the light that's coming off of the screen. But that that would be weird. So it's just it's it's putting a a CG you know a, a rendered version of you know just the space around your eyes and your eyes on the front of the headset, and then it has eye tracking inside, which can tell exactly where you're looking and when you're blinking, and it just translates that to the screen out front, and it it does seem a little weird. But I kind of get where they're coming from. When someone walks into the room yeah. and they want to interact with you and you have the headset on, they can feel like, all right, sure. you can see them because there's pass-through, 3D pass-through from the, the cameras that are mounted you know, on, on the outside of the headset. So you can see them. But it would be weird for them to talk to you with just like, you know, <laughs> like a, you know, a mask covering your face. 
So I, 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 exactly. I, get, I get why they did that. It seems like a whole lot of tech to drive that, but man. And yeah. that's, that's probably why it's $3,500. Uh, I know. I'm going to wait till that comes down to like a $300 <laughs> range before I dive in. Yeah. I know. Yeah. My son was saying that, I don't know if it's like a sort of gesture control, but like apparently out front of the headset, you can move your hands and it'll... You I don't guess, even need to be in front as, of the headset. It's... Yeah, yeah. There's no... Most of these headsets have hand controllers that are used so the headset can track the motion. I have the PSVR too, and it, mm -hmm. it, it works really well. And, and the, the hand controllers have... A ring of like infrared LEDs in right. them uh, that the cameras can pick up and and pretty accurately determine the position, but they managed to do it without that. And and there's cameras that face down, and they specifically mention like so, if you're just sitting on the couch, you know, in that kind of position, and your hands are like in your lap, you don't have to go and put them out in front of the the headset. It they're it'll work just in your natural resting position, and you literally just pinch your index finger and thumb together to click on something and you just Crazy. look at it look at it to select it and it's uh yeah i watched uh uh you familiar with marcus you ever see marcus brownlee's uh channel he does a lot of tech uh reviews he's really good no he's 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 yeah he's he's really good at it and um um real big big on youtube and uh yeah he tried it out he he went to the wdc and and he said that eye tracking is is freakishly good it's wow you, know, you want to search for something you just look over at the search w bar and say what you want to search for and it's and it, it just works perfectly <sighs> yeah endless i so we definitely need to dedicate an entire show to this kind of immersive vr stuff and yeah. ar and and video games and where that's all headed so with a few minutes that we have left here because we could geek out eternally as everybody knows <laughs> if you've been tuning in um i want to put the spotlight we'll call it the ai spotlight of the week on a, another product i've been exploring called tome i think it's called tome t-o-m-e have you heard of this one yeah yeah so it's online it's free of course there's a free version of it tome.ai i believe is the, is the website we'll put it up on the blog but um what it does is is it creates uh slideshows for you so you can put in any kind of topic you want uh as an example i don't know if you remember this about me but i used to be a fragrance developer back in the day i worked as a nose man i was a nose who knew a nose. Um, i always thought that was the coolest yeah. thing i never knew anyone know, else who's who so was weird that right? was a, the position was a nose i thought that was i was awesome. a nose i had a, a nose. A nose on my business card now um <laughs> so i put in tome i said uh make me a slideshow about the history of fragrance development and boom out came seven slides with accompanying artwork and pretty decent information on all seven slides the artwork was clearly generated by ai but it was colorful it all had the same kind of you know look to it um one was like a perfume bottle one was uh you know somebody smelling a blotter blah 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 but at the end of the day, it, it literally in 30 seconds, it created a, a pretty comprehensive slideshow that I could present or my 15-year-old son could present at school and, and take credit for, which I know he's done. And I, <laughs> I, I know he has. But anyway, it's pretty useful. The one thing you cannot do with the free version is download the presentation. But who cares if you're going to present it online to you know colleagues, you can show it right there on Tome. So Tome is the AI Spotlight of the Week. Neato. And it, yeah, cool. Anything else we got to cover, Larry? Are we going to say goodbye to the good folks at home? Yeah, yeah. I think we've probably gone on long enough. 
cool thanks everybody for listening um if you like what you hear don't forget to subscribe and if you're on google podcast apple podcast or spotify please if you like what you're hearing throw us a rating follow us on facebook thank you and we'll we'll see you next week this has been up against reality thanks for listening subscribe to hear future episodes and be sure to follow us on social media for all things ai until next time stay human people 